When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is a show about productivity, not just about being more productive, but about the real root of productivity, living a more meaningful life. When it comes to productivity, there's a fine line between planning and executing, figuring out what you're going to do and actually doing something, doing anything. We can get trapped in the planning stage and plan for extended periods of time without moving to the execution stage. And other times, we can be more impulsive and just act without planning and get stuck in the flurry of activity that is busyness that often yields results, but maybe not exactly the results we want. To avoid that, we're talking this episode with Richard Medcalf about strategy, the first half of the equation, the planning stage. Richard is the author of the book, Making Time for Strategy, How to Be Less Busy and More Successful. Richard shares his insights on the importance of strategic thinking and the need to invest time and effort into long-term planning and mindset shifts. And that's what we talk about in this conversation. We talk about the importance of strategic leadership. If you're the one in charge and not just of yourself, but of others, how does strategy play into that? Effective time management is something we also touch on exploring practical tips that you can use for making time allocation on the calendar more effective. And Richard shares some real-life examples illustrating the impact of how allocating that dedicated time for impactful, focused work and having a strategy for it will get you the most out of that time. My hope is that as you listen to this conversation, you will gain some insights on how to spend the right amount of time and do the right amount of strategy planning in the first half of the planning versus action side of things so that you can execute better in the future moving forward. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Richard Medcalf. Richard, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Eric, hi. It's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. So I'm glad that uh, we were finally able to make this work. And you've got a great book called Making Time for Strategy, How to Be Less Busy and More Successful. And I get what everybody's thinking right now. They're like, wait, less busy and more successful? Aren't those at odds? I think they would be for most people. They're like, how can I be less busy but be more successful? In other words, I mean, and again, you define your own success, but by a lot of people's measure, it's getting more done, not less done or being less busy. Can you kind of untangle this subtitle for us a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, I I guess the reason for the subtitle and for the book is I've been working with really senior business leaders for many years. I work with CEOs, entrepreneurs, some of them on billion dollar businesses, some of them on tech unicorns. They're all in super busy situations, right? They're being pulled on from all quarters. And 
you don't have to be a CEO to know that feeling, right? If you, you feel it all down the organization, I've worked with mid-level managers as well in the past. Everyone feels the same. And I guess the premise is you can either be productive or you can be creative, if you like, or you can be thoughtful. And what I find is that it's so easy, you know, to get into tunnel vision because you've got so many things, you're making progress. There's a lot of things on your plate. You're knocking them off. You know how to do the work. Everybody around you is impressed. You're a high achiever. And yet somehow your vision comes right in and you can't see the opportunities that are really the breakthrough opportunities. You can't see what you're not seeing. You know that video on YouTube, the one where they pass the basketball between the team and you have to count the basketball passes. And at the end, they ask you, did you see the person in the gorilla suit? And they walk right yes. through the person in the gorilla circle. Right? They, they wave at the camera. They walk up. I didn't see it. Nobody sees it. Very few people see it because we're so focused. And so when my clients come to me, they often say, I feel that me or my business, we want a bit of an incremental part. Even though if it's steep, it, they might be making good progress. What would be exponential? What would be breakthrough? And I realized that the first thing we have to deal with in any of those clients is, well, you've got to stop doing a lot of the things you're currently doing to make time for what's going to create the breakthroughs. You can't add on a breakthrough opportunity to that tiny, tiny slither of time that you might not even have in your week. So the first part is elimination. And therefore, that's why I say, actually, you need to become less busy to become more successful. You got to free up that space, that time. It's kind of like, you know, metaphorically, I talk metaphors a lot of times, Venn diagrams too, but uh, in this case, a metaphor where it's, if you didn't clear out, like, I will just be honest, this weekend, one of my projects will be cleaning out the garage so that we can fit the vehicles in there. Now we're talking about defined space and limited amount at that, but somewhat what you're talking about is like when you've got all these disparate things that just get thrown in there and they're just all around with no strategy, but also with no structure, no intention, just passively saying yes to things like we often do when people ask us to do things or make a plan. There's no real intention. Yeah, that's right. And what I find is that often we can intellectually get this. Yeah, I get that, you know, it'd be a good time to have more time freed up. But let me give you an example. One of my clients he is actually an Olympic medalist, former Olympic medalist, very high achiever. He's now uh, running a business. Now he's actually, he's kind of CEO, but he's got like board and other people above him. So he doesn't have a complete reign on his time. You know, he's got commitments. But we were reflecting on this. How do you become less busy to become more successful? And, you know, he said, you know, the best conversation I had recently was with a, a partner. And I was on holiday, he said. I was at the beach with my family by the swimming pool all day. And then like 4 p.m. or whatever it was, I said, I got to go and do my call. He goes back. I think the call was at five. So he had an hour to prepare and get himself psyched up in the zone, get himself clear about what he wanted to say, do. He nailed the call. He signed the biggest ever partnership deal for his business. And then he likened it to a conversation he had with his investors about a month before where he'd like got off the plane. He was like on in the taxi or whatever, sending messages, et cetera, got into the meeting and it kind of was a mere experience. He didn't get what he thought he should have got from the meeting. He didn't get the extra investment he thought he needed. And he said, you know what? I'm more successful when I spend the day at the swimming pool. So, well, that's an extreme example. We, we actually did with him was we actually decided to rethink about what are those activities? And it's a great question to ask yourself. What are the three biggest breakthroughs I had in the last year? in my life and business? And what did I uniquely do to create that? 
And when I asked him that question, we looked at it, we realized there were some very specific things. He was inspiring people by his very presence. He's an Olympic athlete. So he's got this kind of credibility and, and focus and charisma that comes across, you know, and he's got a great vision for the business. And he realized when he was with customers, when he was with his team, when he was with partners, we brought that magic, things happened. So he actually committed to creating, I think it was like three slots a day of about an hour or an hour and a half. And around that completely free time, but not like email time, not kind of low level work time, but it's completely off so that he could just get in the zone, be relaxed, channel his self, his energy and bring it to those sessions. Now, he says the results have been amazing. You know, he's achieving much more with these 15 sessions. I think it's even 12 sessions. I think he doesn't do anything on a Friday structured, but he's got 12 sessions a week, which are his impact sessions. He's got a little bit of time around that for other meetings and emails, but not very much. All his time is now focused on that. So he's got space and he's being successful. Now, I don't like lay that particular form out step by step in the book, but it's an example of how he's internalized some of those principles and is actually being less busy and more successful. It's funny. It makes me think of the 80-20 rule, which I know has a proper name that I'm blanking on at this moment. Pareto, I think. Yeah, Pareto, Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, where 80% of your benefits are coming from 20% of what you're doing. And that's essentially what he's now done. He's, he's allowed himself space in his time and his calendar, his schedule for that 20 to now be a much larger part. So now his output is way more than 80 because he identified, he took the time and identified and noticed. And I think that that's a great strategy. So speaking of strategy, the book's called Making Time for Strategy. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, but sitting thinking doesn't necessarily equate with doing in a lot of people's minds. And a lot of people, they, they equate doing with productivity. How do you equate strategy and productivity together? Yeah, good question. So I think when I say strategy, what I really mean is the strategic. So first of all, we don't have to be a CEO to do strategy, right? We all have what is strategic for us. What's going to move the needle? And the question I'm asking is, are we first of all thinking about what's going to move the needle for us? Are we identifying those key levers that we can pull? And then are we actually doing the work? So you can make time to think about the strategy, which is part of it. And you can make time to do the strategy, which is the other part to do the strategic. So I, I talk about strategic time. So what I looked at is what's the difference between those people who have a kind of a okay career, you know, mediocre, good, incremental, and those who seem to do extraordinary things, who seem to be 10xing every year, who seem to be, you know, moving from strength to strength. For me, it really comes down to this idea of strategic time. Are you investing a little bit of your time every day, not in what's going to make you successful this week, but what's going to make you successful beyond that. And so uh, the way I'd see it is imagine you're a business, Eric, and you're a personal business and you like, you're not making any money. You've got a zero margin. So you can't invest in building factories or opening stores or investing in developers or marketing or brand building or anything, you know, hiring because you've got zero margin. So it's really, really fragile and you can perhaps by sheer effort gradually grow your business, but it's going to be tough. But imagine now a business that frees up and creates some margin that it can then invest in all those activities, then they're going to be the ones who go forward, who, who grab market share, who go to new heights. And so it's the same with us, right? If we've got no time free in our week, if we're basically just spending all of our time on operational tasks that are going to recur next week or next month, then we're not moving forward. But if we just create a little bit of time, invest that in something which is going to free us up in the future or change the game in the future, make everything easier in the future then actually it's going to compound. That extra time is going to allow us to create even more time in the future, be even more successful, and it's going to be a flywheel. 
And I think that's the kind of the mindset shift that we need to kind of get into, which is, you know, I can't just do what's going to make me successful now. I need to be investing in the future. And so that is thinking and it's doing. I think a lot of people find themselves pressed, though, in the here and now by the tasks that they've committed to or been delegated to them, that they don't feel like they have a choice. They don't have agency because it's what they've been tasked with, again, either by themselves or someone else. And it's not just a mindset shift, but it's going from task orientation to strategy orientation, which then the strategy does have some tasks to it. But how do you suggest somebody start to shift that perspective from a daily task oriented or even again, some people are healthy. They have weekly and monthly task oriented stuff, but they're still not shifting enough into overall long term strategy and then reverse engineering to what they need to be doing now. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think the first thing is that we need to get away from over-indexing on the productivity hacks and tips and tricks. Great though they are, it's only a part of the equation. And so in the book, I actually talk about these four elements that we need to kind of nail and we need to identify which is the weakest, what's the limiting factor first? What's the weakest link for us? Because if you work on something that's not the limiting factor, we're not going to see progress. We're going to get frustrated and we're going to settle back into what we believe is inevitable. So the four areas are tactics. So sometimes we do need to shift our workflows, right? We do need to like block out some time. We do need to protect that time. There's things we need to do there. We do need to actually get rid of things which are no longer serving us. There's influence. Influence is really what you said. Like I might decide to change the way I'm working, but perhaps my boss isn't going to agree. Perhaps my colleagues are going to expect me to do the same old, same old. Perhaps my team are going to keep working with me in the same way and keep pulling on my time and getting me to solve their problems for them and this kind of stuff. And so we need to influence and actually have conversations where we renegotiate expectations with the people around us. As I like to say, if you go on a diet, it's your family that will stick the chocolate cake under your nose, right? Unless you actually have the conversation and get them on your side and get them supporting the change. Uh, so that's influence. Then there's mindset, because as you said, Eric, you know, what we think is necessary, possible and desirable is going to completely determine how we operate. So for example, if we think that it's desirable to be always on, super responsive, like getting back at people instantly, if we think that is the path to success, then that's how we're going to behave. Or if we think that's the way we're being nice to people is by getting back to them, then we're going to do that. If we reframe ourselves and say, well, actually my greatest contribution comes from more focus, working on what really matters, letting go of the noise. That's how I actually am nice to serve the people around me, contribute to the greater good then we can start to change our mindset. And then the last one is environment, because especially for leaders and organizations who have teams, if you don't help your team free up their time, you've got no one to delegate to for nothing else. So you can't actually drive any new strategic initiatives into the business. And so if you've got a culture where everyone is always expecting everything all the time and you don't change the environment as far as you can, that's also going to hold you back. So these four areas, they spell the word time, right? Tactics, influence, mindset, and environment. These are like, first of all, we need to know which of these to work on. So I, on my website, I can drop the link later, but there is a little assessment you can do to actually find out like overall, overall, where are you on this journey on in being a strategic leader? And then secondly, where's the weakest link for you? And you could just jump to that section in the book or just focus on that in your own thinking. So if you feel it's around its influence, it's like, yeah, you know what? I know exactly what to do. I'm really motivated to do it, but my boss right now, he doesn't agree. How am I going to go to my boss with a proposal? So he actually gets or she gets on side with this, for example. So I think focusing in on one of these four areas is really important. 
Now, a lot of people come to this show for tactics, and I would say that's great, but that's not what this show is always about. We often try to go broader, have practical as well as theoretical, because I know that sometimes just some phrase, some random guest says on some podcast sticks with me. So I know, you know, you want to have that portfolio. But coming back to that tactics factor, I can't help but think a lot of people are like, well, wait, what kind of tactics would be a limiting factor? What have you identified in your work with others when it comes to that? Yeah. And again, the book's actually very, very practical. I think what's interesting about the book is I kind of go from this quite deep mindset stuff all the way into the very practical, like, you know, scripts and very specific workflows. But I think one great example people struggle with is, well, first of all, let's do the simple thing is, where is it on my calendar? So the first thing people say, oh, yeah, I've blocked some time. Time blocking, got it, it's blocked out. But then I say, well, are you selling it to yourself on your calendar? So in other words, are you actually doing it? And they'll say, I'm blocking the time, but I don't really do it. Okay. Are you selling it to yourself? Like, what is that? Does it just say thinking time or strategy time? If it does, you're probably going to get there and go, I don't even know what that means. I'm going to just do some emails because I know what they mean. So the first thing I say is like, how do you make that a really juicy title for you that you definitely don't want to delete it? What phrase is going to get you excited and also make your colleagues not delete it? One of my clients right now, he's one of my group, small group programs, and he's, uh, wants to become CEO in his next career move. And so he's created a time slot for him, which is, I think he calls it CEO time. And so for him, it's reminds him, he sees that it's like, oh yeah, this is the things I'm going to do that's going to get me to be a, you know, this is going to help me show up as a CEO and be ready for that role and to create the impact that I need to justify to some see that I'm ready for the role. So that's motivating for him when he sees that CEO time is much more motivating than thinking or key project time. And then the second thing is, what are you going to do when you get to that time? It feels ambiguous. It feels vague. It's like intimidating. I've got to like choose my whole future here or whatever. So what I say is get your phone, set a timer for three or four minutes, no more, press go. And then for those three or four minutes, just start to brainstorm questions that it would be cool to answer if you had time. So I'm thought of them off. I'm going to just brainstorm some now with you. It's like, you know, how is AI going to change my industry? You know, what development does my team need? How am I going to get to speak to the CEO? What would it take to multiply our biggest deal size by a factor of three, et cetera, right? We just start to brainstorm, invent like cool questions that would be important or interesting to possibly think about. Just go for quantity. You know, you're brainstorming, don't edit them. Just write down questions. What I do with my clients many of whom are like super high level, right? They, they're doing strategy and all the rest of their strategists and everything else. But they do this. And they after three minutes, I kind of tend to come off mute and just say, how's it going? And they, they tend to go, yeah, yeah, go away, Richard. I'm in flow. Come back in another three minutes. And they'll have produced what I call their own personal strategic agenda. And not all the questions will be relevant, but they'll be looking at them and going, oh, yeah. Now, if I was working on these questions, well, that would be a different game, right? And I see I'm playing a very different game. <laughs> You know, I could be playing up here and actually I'm playing down here. So that's like a nice tactical way just to actually get going in terms of coming up with what do you want to be working on? Because as I explained in the book, you can't free yourself up from operations because more stuff just comes. We live in a world of infinity. It just keeps coming. But you can free yourself up for something more important. So we need to find what that more important thing is and get excited about that before anything else. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Seems like reiterating what I said earlier is a lot of us find ourselves in operation mode versus strategic mode. We're dealing with the here and now, which has been predetermined by the us that came before now, you know, the me of this morning decided that, well, the me of months ago or weeks ago decided you and I were talking right now, but the me of this morning said, yes, I'm talking with Richard today and that's what I'm doing right now. However, even though that was designed, delegated, et cetera, and chosen, that doesn't mean that the rest of the day was spoken for. And in fact, then I had to make sure, okay, what are some of the other things that it's not just what needs to get done, but it's what needs to get done about what I want to get done in a weird kind of way. I guess that's my way of phrasing it. Yeah. And and again, if we go back to this question about being less busy to be more successful, it's reflection and it's action. But I think we don't give ourselves enough time for reflection. I've done a survey of over 600 execs and can't remember the top of me the number, but it, it's like over 25% of people. I think it's way more, but it's definitely over 25. They feel guilty about thinking at work. Wow. What kind of culture have we built when <laughs> that many people feel guilty for thinking, for, sorry, for stopping and thinking for a moment? It's a crazy thing. And what I find is when my clients, I coach executives, I'm really on a mission to help some of the world's top leaders multiply their impact and make a big difference in the world, positive legacy. That's what lights me up. So I'm really on a personal mission. Find it important. And I get these execs in front of me and I, I slow them down, get them to start to look around about what they're missing. And it's there that we get one insight that will change everything for them. One client, literally, you know, he was going to build a business that was going to take him 10 years. We sat down for a couple of hours. And by the end of it, he was like, Oh, I could do this in two because he was going to do it the long way. He was going to build it out incrementally. And suddenly he realized his genius was in another area. He was a brilliant deal maker. He was a brilliant relationship builder. He wasn't the best manager. So like, rather than trying to build this team and do it all as he did the first business, he's a different person now. He's got a great connections. He's got everything else. Just build the business in two years by talking to some key people. So for him, it literally was taking this 10-year project and he suddenly left going, oh yeah, actually, I can see it now. My point is you can't have those breakthroughs when you're doing your emails and like 
running from meeting to meeting. You need space. And I think most of us find that we would lump a lot of that stuff into either checking for fires or putting out fires. And I know that you bring that up in terms of firefighting our tasks, so to speak. How do we do that strategically? Yeah, so I always say, like, people say firefighting, is, and they, they kind of wear it as a badge of honor. I've just been firefighting all day. Because it kind of feels good. It, it sounds like it feels good. But if you think about it, I mean, speak to a firefighter. It's traumatic. I know a firefighter. It's traumatic. First of all, firefighters are super disciplined. They don't just kind of rock and roll and turn up and just deal with an issue, right? But secondly, it's terrible. If your house is burning down, like people are dying, it's a terrible situation, right? And yet we kind of get a buzz from saying, yeah, I'm, I'm just fighting fires. So I don't say like be a fire prevention officer or a fire warden, right? You know, the whole urgent, important quadrant, Eisenhower matrix, everything. Personally, I'm like urgent and important is actually bad. Like, I mean, that's, that sucks if you, it's firefighting. Yeah, your house is burning down. Yeah, you better go and deal with it. But like, why would you want to be in that situation in the first place? And so I think for me, and I think the reason I've had my own success is that I have had a predilection to go to the, what's not urgent, but is going to be important. And it's it's hard. But like, I don't think we should be teaching people to always do what's urgent and important. I mean, yes, do it. But actually, I wouldn't start with that. Because if you start with that, you probably never get to anything else. (laughs) So I'd say like, can you do a little bit on the non-important, the non-urgent, just a little bit before you get to the urgent, important stuff? The Eisenhower matrix drives me nuts. We've been talking about it for years. It's been mentioned many times on this show before. For those that don't know, less than 30 seconds, you draw like almost a reducted tic-tac-toe board, just a plus sign. The axis is urgent and important. What's urgent, what's important. So it's urgent or not, important or not. And part of me is like, why would you ever do anything that's not important? Like I almost already with the labeling of the quadrants, I'm like, why would you do anything ever that's not important? And I know some people are like, well, what that's where you put in the things that are like leisure and things like that. And I'm like, those are important. So why are they in a non-important quadrant? They have importance. So that's my first qualm about it. And then the other is, is that urgent and important is where I think a lot of people just, that's just the go-to box. And yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way of, yeah, a great way of saying it. So one thing that David Allen said to me, which always resonated really was, well, this idea that like you make commitments and then you have things to do for all those commitments, right? If you've made a commitment, they're all important. So buying a pair of socks is important if you want to go to work with clothes on, right? So it's, you know, life, we have to do things like this, like getting a haircut. It's important if you don't want to have long hair, right? Or whatever. So I think... You're absolutely right that we have to look at things differently and not just say, well, I'm just going to prioritize on the top one or two things. But I think what we do have to do is get really clear on what's the mission that we're on, what would be a breakthrough for us, and then really look at like how much of what we're doing is noise, how much of it is solving other people's problems. What I think I encourage people to do is what I call a commitment inventory, where you just take your week, you basically write down what you spend your time doing. What are the daily tasks, the weekly tasks, the monthly tasks? How long does it take you? Basically figure out where your time goes and then actually say on a scale of one to 10, how exciting and valuable is this? And, you know, very quickly we find there is a bottom 20% or even a bottom 40%, right? That actually is not adding value to where we're trying to go. And so that's where I'd start. In the book, I go, there's a five-step process in the book, which is really practical because my point is if you're a business that is not making any money or even losing money, in other words, if you're burning out even or you're just unsustainable, then you need to write that very quickly, write the ship very quickly. In other words, you need to become profitable. 
need to create margin in your time. And so I would say you need a process over just a couple of weeks, you know, two, three weeks where you really change things around and create significant change in your time use. Because often we kind of try to claw at the edges a bit here, a bit there, you know, and we perhaps free up half an hour or an hour. But I'm thinking, why don't we go for eight hours? Like make a big shift. Then I'll make real time to do something different. Yeah, it feels like a lot of times scrapping away, like people think, oh, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to, and I've had, I mean, I am, I'm raising my hand right now. I am one of those people where it's like, okay, I'm going to get up at five and I'll work on this for two hours and I'll single focus on it and I'll just knock it out and get it done. And I'll be more tired, but that's okay because I'll try to get to bed a little earlier. And honestly, I'm not saying don't do that. And I'm not saying that hasn't worked in the past for me to square a few things away, you know, get them fully completed, in other words, and off the plate so that I have a freer mind and mode and more attention and focus. But that's not to say I'm not going to be tired and be maybe a little less useful at some other point. So, you know, even incrementally saying, oh, instead of doing that, like I'll typically get up between like six and six thirty or six thirty and seven or something like that. The latest I can do is seven thirty because that's when everybody else has to get up in my house. But all that to say, don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't get so ambitious as to say, okay, I'm gonna do five o'clock, do six thirty. If your normal wake time is seven, do six thirty and start a little earlier. Like in other words, whatever that thing is, break it down and do it over the course of multiple times, multiple days. And I say all that to say, because I think a lot of people get into this mode where they're like, I just need to free up all this time. And in order to do that, I need to take a bunch of extra time. And the calendar doesn't work that way. No, that's that's right. And it's really important because I really work with leaders, I think, on two dimensions. One is this being strategic, like big goals, breakthrough goals, you know, eliminating the noise, focusing attention, thinking bigger, all this. But then the other part is being magnetic. And being magnetic is really like... What's the quality of when you show up? Like, do you bring people with you? Right? Do you inspire them in a conversation? Do you convince them? Do you land when you speak? You know, are you on a mission? Do people feel your energy? Yeah, and it comes down to things like, first of all, like, are you actually rested and energized? I mean, there's many other layers, but at a base level, you got to start with that, right? Are you actually showing up with energy and creativity? Because again, those are going to be the things. You know, if you show up to even a sales meeting, to a business meeting even just to whatever your spreadsheet that you're doing, whatever it is, if you come and you're energized, you're having fun, you're relaxed, you're ready to go, the quality of what you do is going to be so much different from if it's just the grind, you're just trying to grind it out one more piece. So I really think it's important to pay attention to that. A lot of the entrepreneurs I work with, when I kind of scratch below the surface, I find that the joy has gone. You know, they're really, they're trying so hard, they're pushing. And again, I find that helping them be less busy actually more in their own power and more magnetic, focusing on what really matters, that's when they become successful. It's not just a game of quantity. It really isn't. Yeah. Again, I have found that it's better for me personally to go throughout a day that has margin in it and buffer space in between the different things that I have to do that I've not only chosen intentionally what it is I have to do, but also how it connects to what I want to do and need to do. But then also, again, I used to be a person that would get up at five or six pretty much consistently and not for any productivity sake, just because I couldn't help it. It's just what happened. And I have found that having more sleep makes me just much more fresh. And I'll say this, having a nap 
I'm a proponent of naps, 20 minutes, closing your eyes, even if you don't fall asleep, but just having a dark private area, which again, that's hard to do in a workspace if it's not your home. But I know of some places that have that, but if you can do it and the trick is to maybe even have a, you know, something that you can sip quickly, have like a shot of espresso or a cold coffee of some sort where you drink a whole bunch of it and then do that 20 minute, you know, private lay down or even just a, you know, recliner, (laughs) if you will. It does a lot of good. Takes 20 minutes for caffeine to hit. And if you're also closing your eyes and getting kind of that refresh there, you suddenly it's time. The timer goes off and it's like, I'm awake. And it just kind of resets your day. And then the second half of the day, because I'm more of a, I'm more productive in the morning, my second half of the day, less so. This is one of the things that's helped me do that. And that's a tactic. But again, it's, (laughs) it's a helpful one. Yeah. I love that. I have another tactic that doesn't really work in a corporate office environment, but, um, my tactic is a five minute shot of electric guitar. <laughs> so nice. I find that, you know, after lunch, whatever, I'm just in that mood. It's just, ah, oh, I've got a call coming up and I'm like, am I feeling inspired? Am I in flow right now? And if the answer is I'm just feeling a bit lethargic, I've um, taken to installing my electric guitar in the corner of my, my home office, just sits there. And then, yeah, three, even three minutes of just playing that. Something changes in you, at least in my body, just gets me back into flow, gets me out of my head, you know, into feeling, right? Into the present moment. And then I get back in. So it feels like, wow, you mean playing more electric guitar makes you better at work, Richard? Well, yeah, it does actually for me. And I'm not saying I'm spending hours and hours doing this, but just a couple of minutes, it brings me back into the state of energy, the state of being that I need to be if I'm going to show up and listen to and inspire and challenge my clients. So for everyone, I think the point is that's going to be different, but it's really important to monitor not just what you're working on and whether you're being strategic, but also how you are approaching that task and what the energy level is in your body and what people are going to feel when they encounter you. Going back to what I was saying with the Eisenhower Matrix, some people playing guitar like you were just describing, non-important, non-urgent, and yet you doing that, much like the guy who gets more done at the pool, or because he was at the pool and spent the time there, like he's practicing and not just practicing, he's warming up, he's mentally preparing, he's emotionally preparing, he's getting in the zone to be able to then execute well for the thing that's really important. And, and a lot of times we don't, one, set aside the time to decide and do the homework, so to speak, which you've got the, the you know starting point of assessments and much other tools to go with that in the book. But it's that we look at it different. We look at it like there's a certain amount of time. We fill the time because it's time buckets and then we cross things off and that's it. Whereas, no, it's much more about leveraging the time. Not every hour is created equal, in other words, and we treat them like they are, but they're not. That's right. And the biggest barrier is what we think is possible, either through our own mindset or in terms of what we think other people will let us do. One of my clients uh, was a, I think, one level below CFO in, in a business. He said that he was completely overloaded, hadn't got a moment to think. And uh, within just a couple of months, actually, he went through one of my programs. He freed up 30% of his time, had all this time on his hands, went to his boss, you know, basically got a promotion. The reason for that was when he first showed up, he just said like, yeah, I've got no time, did his in- commitment inventory. of his time was spent doing recurring tasks that had made him successful because he was the one who had nailed those tasks in the business. He'd understood them. It was like payroll and sales commissions and quite complex things. And he kind of 
stitched it all together, but he kept doing it. And I said to him, that's not going to make you CFO, right? Doing payroll every month. <laughs> and suddenly he was like, oh yeah, you're right. So again, shift in mindset that this thing is no longer serving me. And then his other mindset was, well, he did, wasn't trusting his team. He thought his team couldn't step up. It was too complicated. Only he could do it. His team weren't experienced enough. Well, neither was he until he figured it out all those years ago. And so once he really shifted his mindset and got committed to like actually working with his team to help them learn those skills, it was super quick. It was just a few weeks. And that thing that he'd been doing all those years, suddenly he was freed up from. He was able to go and take on more responsibilities. So I think my point for that is just, you know, when we think, yeah, we need to free up this time and we have that nagging question, it's just not possible for me, Richard. You don't understand. Like everyone else, I get it. They're wasting their time on things or they're not being strategic. But me, it's just, I can't right now. I just want to challenge that. You're pretty not seeing what you're not seeing. I think that's perfect place to pause and say, look, I think self-awareness, which has become a huge topic that we've brought up on multiple episodes, even though the episodes aren't connected yet again, that phrase self-awareness, noticing, in other words, it's taking the time to notice things. And it's not even that when we say taking time or making time, it's not even blocking that time out. It's so much that it's just you observe it as you're going about and doing all the things. As you probably feel you are busy or too busy, like most everybody else, notice, catch the things as they're happening and kind of collect and notice and catalog those things so that you can kind of come back and say, well, where were those places that were friction points this week that, man, I really wish that I could stop doing the thing altogether or I could find somebody else or trust somebody else to do it for me and free up that time so that then I can be the one getting ready for that call metaphorically. You know, what are my calls and what are the ways that I get ready for those calls? Again, speaking metaphorically, because it's all going to be different for everybody, but that's where I'm kind of coming from this conversation from calling that out to anybody who's listening. Actually, it's almost like that big rocks analogy. I know we've all heard that one too. I think that's also a Franklin Covey thing where, (laughs) you know, you've got the big fish tank or whatever, and you throw all the sand in and then the little rocks, and then you're trying to fit the big ones and then they don't fit because you go the opposite way around. And we've seen this example before where the big rocks go in first and then the next smaller ones and then the next smaller ones. And then you find that those tiny ones find their way to fill in the time anyway and get done. But we go about it backwards. Yeah, absolutely. Richard, it's been great talking with you. I I would love to point people to the book as well as that assessment where they can start to figure out where they are. What's the way you put it? Yeah, what's the limiting factor, right? Yeah, which these areas. Yeah, so the book's called Making Time for Strategy. You can get it on Amazon, probably a few other places as well. Or you can go to makingtimeforstrategy.com to find out a bit more about it. What I'll do, though, is if you go to xquadrant.com slash beyond, then I'll put there like a link to the book site. I'll put the assessment and a couple of other things that you might find interesting there. So yeah, so the assessment, it just takes a couple of minutes. And I think what it's helpful is I've even structured the book so that you know, if you're a busy person, you don't always have got time to read a whole book, right? So what I wanted to do is create like a nonlinear path through the book. So if you do the assessment, you realize that influence is your limiting factor. Well, you can just dive straight in if you want to the chapter, the chapters on influence and work on that. Or if you find that actually you do need that tactical roadmap to get you out of the busy work, you know, pretty damn quickly, then go to that section. So um, I think the book and the assessment go quite nicely together. So it could be a great place to start. That's great. Yeah. So we'll link up to that xquadrant.com slash beyond, or you'll find that in the show notes. And Richard, it's been great talking with you. Can't wait to see what you do next and have you back on. 
Eric, it's been a pleasure, a lot of fun as always. And thanks for all the great work you do putting this show out. It's, uh, it's always a lot of fun and uh, insightful. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you gained some insight here into the strategy side of the strategy versus action or planning versus doing equation. And I hope that you found this helpful as a perspective changing shift to maybe cut out some of that busyness that you're doing and maybe slow down, pause, stop wasting time doing things. I know that sounds contradictory. But actually take some time to plan your steps, plan your actions, make that stuff that you need to do broken down into projects. But not only that, figure out how to plan your planning is really what I'm getting at here. So if you found this conversation helpful, one, you can grab Richard's book at the link in the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. Not only that, but if you found this helpful, I would love it if you would share this episode with somebody, share it on social you can do that from over on beyondthetodolist.com again at the show notes or hit the share button in your podcast player app of choice wherever you're listening to this. Think of somebody you know, this would really help and share it over to them. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening and I will see you next episode.